0: not often when you're watching golf that you find yourself thinking of the Happy Mondays but I couldn't help watch the Ryder Cup yesterday and every time Ian Poulter came on screen I was reminded of Bez from the Happy
1: Mondays. Do you remember Bez from the Happy Mondays Gavin? I'm not having you compare Bez to Ian Poulter that's unacceptable <laughs> <laughs> you serious? No Poulter is not cool like him is he? Well what was Bez's job in the Happy Mondays? Keep everyone happy for starters yeah he was well he had no talent so he just danced beside everyone for the he, whole time. He was he the vibe guy. them drugs though as well. Allegedly, but
0: but what he definitely did was dance around the stage with maracas, nowhere near a microphone. I did see him sometimes described as a percussionist, but I think vibes man is exactly the right word. And I think that Ian Poulter... Is a vibes man for the Ryder Cup team.
1: I can't believe we're comparing a great musical entity to the Ryder Cup, but uh, yes. Yeah. Well, fair a- l- actually, then again, though, Poulter probably there was a bit more, a bit more to him than Bez, isn't there? In his what he actually contributed.
0: Uh, Ian Poulter contributed a lot. Yeah. In, in fact, he, like he, he won his singles game. He had a brilliant. Uh, he, he, I think, I thought that he was like a, an electroshock therapy for. Um, for our own Rory McIlroy at the weekend, because Rory seemed to be in a bit of a funk, and if you play a round of golf with Ian Poulter, who sort of screams in your face and high fives you whenever anything good happens, I think it
1: it would shake you out of whatever funk you were in. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he is, he's got a special place in the heart of people who care about the Ryder Cup, uh, of which you're not one. I get the impression. I tried. I did try. <laughs> I really did. I thought after watching Tiger the week before, and um, just with playing with Rory and winning his first tournament in, what, five years, I thought I'd be able to, it would drag me in. But um, no, I was gone after the opening ceremony, <laughs> to be honest. I loved Andy Bolt's <laughs> piece in The Guardian, actually, honest. Well, we care about the Ryder Cup
0: here in the Added Time podcast. I'm Pat Nugent, filling in for Malachy Clerkin, but we're going to be chatting to Malachy shortly. He's somewhere in Paris. Gavin, you're going to be talking some rugby with us later on. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to also talk to Emmett Malone later on um, in the episode. He's going to be talking to us about... Uh, the major controversy of the weekend uh, centred around one of the world's greatest players but before that we have Malachy Clerkin on the line from Charles de Gaulle airport at La Nationale course yesterday Europe regained the Ryder Cup on a score of 17.5 to 10.5 after an impressive day in the singles on the back of some brilliant performances in the four balls and foursomes earlier in the weekend so Malachy here's the big question why are America so rubbish <laughs>
2: Uh, who knows, Pat? They, uh, they they were supposed to not be rubbish anymore. Those days were supposed to be gone. Like traditionally, they were they would come across and not really uh, care about it. Certainly not as much as the Europeans. Uh, and like they would always have on paper the better team, uh, but the Europeans would just through sheer dint of actually wanting to win it more than they did, uh, pay more attention to it. Uh, but that was all supposed to be gone, you know. That was supposed to be the stuff of, you know, the the noughties and the nineties and all that sort of stuff. And uh, But this felt like a very old-style one. It felt very much like back in the day when the Yanks would just turn up with a load of stars and presume that they'd just win. And uh turned out not to be so. turned out that the European team were far more invested in it, far more... Uh, gave it a lot more thought. Played, paid far more attention to the course, and just played better.
0: Tiger Woods was making all the right noises coming into the tournament, like about being up for it despite his dismal record in the past in Ryder Cups. But he was—he wasn't himself at all again, was he?
2: No, and, and but like this—that's part of it too. Like you know, like this is his eighth Ryder Cup when he's lost seven of them. Like he—he he is. Uh, him and Mickelson uh, are now joint uh, statistically the worst Ryder Cup players ever. Uh, they've, they've lost. They've, they've lost most matches of anyone that's ever played in the Ryder Cup. You know they. I don't know. They just. They now, Sometimes, sometimes players just play badly. Uh, Mickelson was terrible all week. Uh, couldn't hit the ball out of his way. He spent more time on the range on his own trying to learn how to play golf than he has for the rest of the year, and was just was just terrible. Um, Tiger was weird though. Tiger was in a weird mood all week. He was very sort of old style sullen. Um, you know, anybody that, that stayed up Sunday night week ago to watch him uh, and those scenes from Atlanta. W- would have expected maybe a, a you know a kick of energy going into the week, you know some sort of uh, payoff from that. But he just looked absolutely knackered all week. He looks, he looks a bit out of it to be honest. Like he, you know, you don't want to you don't want to stray too far into conjecture about a guy who has talked about his own problem with uh, uh, substance abuse in the past. But he really, definitely in the post press conference yesterday. He was in an odd mood. He he was talking in a really low mumble. He was barely stringing a sentence together. There was something really off with him all week.
1: Mal, there was a piece with um, the great Patrick Reed, an interview with the New York Times, saying yeah. Jordan, Jordan Speed wouldn't play with him. So it looks yeah. like there was a bit of poison in the in the group. Is it, um, is Patrick Reed right, and are the rest of them wrong, or did he kinda, could... kind of was his personality kind of? Come to bear on the group, or what happened? Yeah, you I,
2: I mean the thing with Patrick Reed is he, hes sort of unapologetically a bit of a dick.
1: Yeah, and, great uh, guy, isn't he. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, and like that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, he's
0: Gavin's favorite American.
2: Uh, i well imagine. Yeah, that's fair. That's very surprising to me, Gavin. I didn't think that <laughs> of you. But but like as I say, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you harness it properly. You know, if you if you find. A way to use that, like all energy is energy. You just have to direct it in the right, uh, in the right way. So, you know, Reed and Speeds played very well in the last two Ryder Cups. Speeds is, is that sort of the golden child, and and you know what he says carries a lot of weight. Whereas Reed is, you know, very well well known not to be uh, overly popular on the tour. And uh, yeah, it's funny. In the press conference yesterday, somebody asked a sort of a generic question about splitting up Spieth and Reed, and Reed kind of threw a, a look down the table. Him and Spieth were sitting, I think maybe seven or eight people apart, and you could see in Reed's eyes that he was kind of he wanted to have a bit of a go. But Spieth just kind of jumped in and gave a you know Spieth a, a, a great would make a great politician. You know, he just kind of jumped in, gave a. A, a generic answer, and uh, it was the last question in the press conference. So, actually, when I read the, that New York Times piece, I wasn't surprised by it. You know, it was. I knew he he did look like he wanted to to say something, but um, yeah. But it, to me, Gavin, it just it goes again a little bit to the heart of why Europe are good at this and the Americans aren't. Yeah. You know that that there's you're spending a lot of time on working out the intangible stuff like chemistry and pairings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas there is a, a real, there, and this has always been the case with America, they have a strain of thought that says, look, we have we have the best golfers in the world, just, you know, go and play golf, you know? Because
1: it's not a and, team uh, sport, Mal, sure it's not. And the Americans have well, never got their head around that, have they?
2: Exactly, you know, and they don't... They don't really get it. Uh, even Rory was saying something yesterday, you know, and, and like Rory's a PGA Tour player, same as John Ram. Like they're they're to all intents and purposes American golfers, and yet he he was saying, you know, it is a wee bit different on the European Tour. It, it they all start out there. Uh, he he was saying that he the first time he played with Torbjorn Olsson. Was in the Egyptian Open in 2010, and like everybody in the room, kind of pissed themselves laughing at the idea of Rory McIlroy playing in the Egyptian Open. But they all sort of start somewhere, and they're all they go out. You know, like imagine you're a European, you're on a European tour event uh, at the Egyptian Open. You come off the course, and you're going right. What are we doing this evening, lads? Does anybody know where there's a restaurant we can go and eat? Like because. We're we're in da- deepest Egypt here. What what are we going to do? Whereas it doesn't quite have the same ring to it if you're say Patrick Reed and Brooks Koepka and Dustin Johnson, and you finished your round at the Phoenix Open in Arizona. Like you're just in another American city. You don't really hang out together. You don't you don't really kind of. There's you just you just
1: get in a car the, and get brought to a to your house I'm, that you've rented, and you don't actually yeah, see the world. You just live in your little no, golf bubble, don't no, you? No,
2: completely. You know, and so there there is that sort of thing with with the with the uh, European team because even though they they do go on to become stars, by the time they're playing in the Ryder Cup, like like Molinari now is one of the greatest golfers in the world at the minute. But like Molinari, for thirteen years has been sort of grinding it out on the European Tour playing in all these shitty little tournaments. Like, he would, you know, up to sort of two, three years ago, Molinari wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been in one of the sort of the TV groups at at like the Portuguese Masters or anything like that. He's just a normal, everyday tour pro. And they all kind of, they do have that sort of chemistry together as a result. And, you know, for all that these things are decided by who holds the most putts and who gets the ball in the fairway, that chemistry stuff does seem to matter or at least the way the players and Bjorn and all talk about it it does seem to matter and the Americans just have never got the hang of it. I
0: was wondering Maliki um, on that because the home record or the record of the home teams in the Ryder Cup is so insane how much of a factor are the partisan crowds on golfers who aren't used to to that effect if you know what I mean?
2: I don't. I, I honestly don't think it's that big a deal. Uh, the partisan crowd. I think. I think we kind of we make a big deal out of the out of the partisan crowd because be, be purely out of novelty, uh, because you just don't see it. You know, you don't uh, when these guys play in individual tournaments. Nobody outside of maybe Tiger and maybe sort of Phil or Augusta. Nobody. You know, there's not a huge constituency rooting for or against these guys. Um, but doesn't
0: that mean the effect of it could be greater in a Ryder Cup because they're not no, used to that?
2: No, but but like it, it, the corollary of that should be that it, that if they're not used to as many rooting for them, they're not used to as many rooting against them, or vice versa. So it should even itself out to a certain extent. You know, it, it's just a, a a weird atmosphere compared to what they're used to. But I I think it's more I, I don't think it has any major effect. Uh, certainly not any more or certainly this week not any more than the effect that the actual course itself had like it had an enormous effect because it's just the sort of course that the Americans don't play as we were saying Pat when we had Colin in with us last week he flagged this up you know that that, that the Ryder Cup has never been played at a course like this it suits the Europeans because they've played it over and over and over again and the Americans just aren't used to it like it, it is no accident that by far the best American player was Justin Thomas and he played in the French Open this year and he was the only one of the 12 Americans to do so.
0: There was an amazing was, amazing stat I saw before the tournament started that the European team had played a combined 232 rounds yeah. of the course and the Americans had played eight and four of those were by Justin Thomas.
2: Yeah, and, and the, 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 if you drill down into that stat, you're kind of looking at it going, if four were by Justin Thomas, why did the other two... Why would the other two only play two rounds each? It's because both times that the other two played, they missed the cut.
1: Mal, what was your favourite moment? Uh, was it following Randy and Poulter and all those other lads, or <laughs> did you put on some stupid hat? Or what, but out in the course, you probably walked it a fair bit over the week. What was your kind of? What's going to stay with you?
2: Yeah, Friday afternoon, I followed the the match between Henrik Stenson and Justin Rose and Ricky Fowler and Dustin Johnson, and that was brilliant. That was really, really enjoyable game. Um, I kind of got fairly close to it I had had an inside the the ropes bib and was fairly close to it most of the way around and it was cool to be around it and to watch somebody like Stenson you know Stenson somebody that in the run into it was kind of seen as a possible liability for Europe hadn't really played well in the last few months hadn't um, had an elbow injury you know was, was basically there because of what he had done in the past and he was just nails, you know. He, he missed a, a putt early, but after that, my God, on the way in, he just holds six-footer after six-footer after eight-footer and was just... Just between him and Rose, it was an, a lesson in how to play that golf. You know, they did nothing stupid.
0: I think, Malachi, we're going to have to get a, some kind of a decompression chamber for you or something to knock the Ryder Cup yeah. out of you when you get back to work. Where are we sending him in two years'
1: time? Where's it on then?
2: <laughs> no. Does he know? <laughs> never mind two years' time, Gavin. In a couple of weeks, I'll be at some poxy Club match down in uh, or, uh Yeah, that press in, box
1: in, will sort you out.
2: <laughs> in, in Kildare somewhere. That's all the decompression that we need, yeah. Were you shitting
1: on the Ryder Club, cabin? Yeah, a little bit, just in the intro, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah I were, didn't want to insult you because you have done all this so much work. I didn't bring it up like when we were chatting that to you. Like, yeah,
2: you should have done it to
1: me. Yeah, I know, I got my uh, digs in. Um, no, because I actually, just following it with you, I didn't want to be insulting because you look from your tweets alone, it looked like you had a really good experience. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. too easy to shit on it, like after someone's worked... And you're in behind uh, the
2: be.
1: No, no, I had my sly pot shots beforehand, so that's grand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's safer. All right, lads, go on. Uh,
0: Thanks very much, Mariki We'll talk to you next week. On to rugby. And at the weekend in the Pro 14, uh, Leinster had an impressive win over Connacht, but we'll start with Munster's
1: Record victory over Ulster at the weekend. Uh, Ulster's record defeat. Ulster's record defeat. <laughs> yeah. First time, worst defeat. Last time was twenty years ago. They got tanked by wasps, and this was three more points. Um, there's a couple of mitigating factors, but it was embarrassing to say the least. Before we get on to Ulster's embarrassment, though, let's talk about Joey Carberry.
0: Sure. Well, how how did you get? How were you impressed by him?
1: Yeah, look, uh, I, as soon as he's been sitting in this ten jersey. Uh, all season. It's been impressive. Every time he plays 10, he's impressive. It, the Fiji game last November proved it when he broke his arm, unfortunately, but his range of passing is... Nobody else in Irish rugby... I've never seen an out-half, an Irish out-half with his kind of range of passing. Uh, he can do anything he wants with the ball if he's given a bit of space and he w- walks up to the line. They use scan a bit as a first receiver, give him a bit of space. He threw two passes which I've never seen Johnny Sexton throw. He threw, that was in just this game alone. Um, sky's the limit and has been and everyone's known this for a while with him he kicked his goals he finished off a sensational try that he started now the defence was shambolic so we have to take that into consideration he's not going to be able to show show off like he did this much but this really looks like a good idea now Munster getting the move yeah because it's nailed on that he's going to be playing out half he's still actually his try proves he's still probably a better fullback but never mind forget about it we haven't had uh, Ireland have had three out halves in 25 years of professionalism. Humphreys, O'Gara, Sexton. That's it. They're the only ones. And eventually there's going to have to be a fourth. Paddy Jackson's in Perpignan now. Ian Madigan went to Bristol. Uh, everyone knows that Joey Carberry is the second choice. The rest of the guys in, in the country are nowhere near him. Um, well, sorry, res- got to give a bit of respect to Ross Byrne, but he's sitting in the queue now in Leinster behind Sexton. but we'll, might see him this weekend. But, um, if he brings his game he's twenty two, if he brings his game management to another level in the next two years, Graham Henry was right. We're gonna have not he's we're gonna have an out half for the next ten years nailed on with this guy. He's talent wise he just he showed it on the weekend and it was it was really really cool to watch. Does having an out half
0: like him change how
1: Monster play? Completely. <laughs> it it completely changes their their options, know, Like they they couldn't do this last year they brought in Tyler Blainhall who has a good range passing and all that but he's been injured the whole time with his neck problems um, he throws balls that, that beat the defensive line he, he's, he sits in as a, almost a second receiver um, like there was just some wonderful action yeah it, it gives Munster a chance to uh, it brings their, their game to another dimension I, I expect Gordon Darcy's column to, he's coming back this week I think he's going to write about it what the likes of Tyburn and Joey Carberry have done to bring Munster uh, up to another level, and again, it, this is a thing that we—if you watch across the provinces, like uh, it's all about Leinster players going to all the, the other provinces. now. Connacht, Connacht's squad had eleven players who were either educated in the Leinster system or came from Leinster oh. in, in, in the team that played on the weekend. Ulster, I think, have nine Leinster guys on their books and desperately need to get them on the pitch. John Cooney went off. They fell apart. They really need Geordie Murphy to get back from his ankle injury. Um, Marty Moore needs to get himself sorted out or they just don't have a tight head. Um, And Munster now. (laughs) yeah, looks like the two guys who could give another dimension to them are from the Leinster school system. As impressive though as Munster were, how bad were Ulster? Okay, you have to look at this, right? In in two weeks' time, everyone's gone into Europe. So Leinster went more or less, besides James Ryan, Dan Levy and Robbie Henshaw, they went full metal jackets down in Galway. Also, they wanted to sort them out down there, but... They were thinking they got a six-day turnover from the Aviva Stadium against Munster this weekend before their opening European game against Wasps on a Friday night. So I don't expect 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 I don't expect Sexton to start. I expect a, more or less a second string, kind of a Leinster thing. They don't really have a second string, but a lot of their front line guys that we saw on the weekend will be sat down, I think, for the Aviva. Be- uh, so Ulster, on the other hand, though, obviously said um, they just come back from a two to- two weeks in South Africa they were i think there were 16 players injured and they don't have the squad depth that they like you won't know some of the names look at the Ulster team from the weekend you're not going to know some of the names uh, Curtis, uh you know, there's a bunch of them there you're just not going to know who they are you know and um they got torn asunder mm. uh, you could see it was going to be 50 60 points from the the opening few minutes they're just... It looked like a club team against a professional team. Um, because it's Ulster's seconds team and Ulster do not have the squad depth. They lost a rate of players to, for numerous reasons in, during the summer. Um, they just don't have the squad depth to compete uh, with their second string outfit. They need to go. F- they need to have their best players on the pitch at all times to be in any way. And they are a good team once they get their best players on the pitch. But that's not enough in rugby anymore. I asked Dan McFarland at the European launch there last week. How can you... Um, can you realistically be competitive on both fronts this year with the squad you have, I and mean, you're looking at the injury lists you have? And uh, he gave a nice diplomatic answer, but there's like Henderson went off and Cooney went off, and they were so they were cooked. You can't they can't lose Ian Henderson and John Cooney in an in, interpro in game then in Towman Park and have any chance?
0: I felt a bit sorry for him after the game when somebody told him that that was their record defeat. Um, you could see his face dropped a little bit, I believe.
1: Yeah, and he, he he There was a lot of positive noises coming out of him. And look, this is this is a long process. He wasn't even in for preseason. it percent Simon needs to be up there to do the coaching with Dwayne Peel and, and the rest of them. And Jar Payne's only learned, finding his feet as a coach. Dan McFarland's his first head coaching job. You know, it, it costs a lot of. Cost, I presume it cost a bit of money to get him away from Scotland. Uh, technically, well-respected coach, well-respected guy in Irish circles, but um, he was never made a head coach in th- this place. Now until. Ulster needed him. Um it's going to take time I think they'll be I think they'll get their act together this weekend they'll put out a full team and I think they'll be competitive in Europe but um, it can't be as bad as last season but this is a process and it's going to take a year or two Like we don't even know if they're out new out of Burn, Billy Burns he looks okay we just don't know how good he is they need all their best players on the pitch and John Cooney Ian Henderson Marcel Coetzee Jordy Murphy Marty Moore eventually if he ever gets fit Um if you don't have these lads playing, Will Addison, it, they're just not at the races. That's been proven quite clearly.
0: I was curious there, you mentioned it again, did Leinster really go up to Connacht
1: on a revenge mission? No, they went up going, they're getting themselves ready for Europe. Okay, They don't think right. like that. They're not? <laughs> no, they, they, no, they're the double champions. They, don't, they, don't, yeah, think. they that, don't think. Well, that's what I thought. I okay, thought that you but, mentioned well, there Healy that. did say it last week. Yeah. He goes, yeah, of course, we got tanked. got. They put 47 points on us just before they won all their trophies. They, understandably took their eye off the ball and it was John Muldoon's last game last year and all that and they got, right, yeah. they got tanked in the sports ground but yeah John Muldoon taking conversions at the end of the game that was it's a little stable that. players I'm sure didn't make a big deal about it but um, they picked a full st- almost full strength team because, um, because of the six day turnaround I'd imagine from the Munster game to Wasps mm. like the team we saw against Connacht they mix and match really cleverly now and all that. but the team we saw against Connacht I think we'll see that with James Ryan probably and Robbie Henshaw I think that'll be the team we'll see. I think Levy, if he gets back. <laughs> Levy, Josh van der Flyer was man of the match. So It's Josh van der Flyer, Sean O'Brien or Dan Levy. One of them's going to get in. Reese Ruddock took a knock, not sure. But um, no, they, uh, no, they were, th- their whole process was to go down there and to perform like they'd like to perform when they get to Wasps. And they did. They were excellent. It was, was really impressive stuff.
0: So are they going to play a slightly weakened team next weekend against Monster?
1: Yeah, Sexton's not going to start three games in a row. It's just not going to happen. I'd be I'd be surprised. This whole thing, Joey Carberry coming back to Dublin, I'd be wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start. They might take take the air out of this big Aviva game when they're trying to sell tickets. Sorry, I'm sorry about this, but this is probably not going to help the ticket sales. But I, it's still going to be very interesting. Leinster team because their seconds isn't really a seconds team. You know they've have such a good squad depth. But Munster, um, Van Graan said a while ago after they got tanked in Cardiff, he goes, "I'm going to pick my best team from now on." Um, he still has to make sure that he doesn't flog his lads for the European match mm. that comes after um, so I think both teams will be, won't be at their they won't be their European starting 15s and that means Leinster win every time but never now then, Munster Munster might turn around and go, f- go with their full strength but it, it just doesn't make sense because of the two really punishing European matches that come straight after It's a shame because I think lots of people were excited to see Carberry make, come back to the Aviva. Yeah, they might have to do it in Keighley but we'll see we'll see how it goes I, I tell you I don't think it's going to be Saxon against Carberry it might be for the last 20 minutes um, that's just the way this goes They've. it doesn't help the Pro 14 like for example no it doesn't help the Pro 14 having Ulster's blatantly clearly second string team going into Tome Park against a Munster team who had kind of felt a bit humiliated defensively after they got run Cardiff ran through the middle of them so they had a point to prove And they kept proving it over and over again. What are we, nine tries? Yeah. Um, Yeah, it doesn't help the Pro 14, but here's the way it goes. Europe is what matters. And you get use the Interpros to get ready for Europe. That's just the way it is. Pro 14, second string. It's always that second fiddle. That's just the way it goes.
0: So, on to soccer. And we're going to deal with the story now that we're going to tiptoe rather carefully through the complicated legalities of. But a US woman has gone public with her claim that Cristiano Ronaldo raped her in a Las Vegas hotel room nine years ago. Catherine Mayorga, a 34-year-old Las Vegas native, told Germany's Der Spiegel magazine that she met the Portuguese player in a nightclub in the city in June 2009. Later in his penthouse, she claims the player raped her and afterwards apologised. Lawyers for Ronaldo on Friday said that they would sue the magazine for publishing blatantly illegal accusations. And Ronaldo himself um, recorded a video on Instagram where he dismissed the story as fake news.
2: No, 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 no. What they said today? Tsk. Fake fake news. They want pr- to want to promote by my name. It's normal. They want they want to be famous to say uh, my name. Yeah, but it's part of the the job. I'm happy, man, and all all good.
0: We're joined in the studio by the Irish Times soccer correspondent Emmett Malone. Emmett, this story obviously has a lot of he said she said aspects to it, but also there's a lot of legal documentation floating in the background that, according to Der Spiegel, that tell some of the story as well.
3: Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, as you say, there is, on the the face of it, there's a huge element of, of he said, she said, as there tends to be when allegations are made like this. We have the whole Me Too, you know, uh, movement, a great deal of which has been, at least initially, in many cases, based on, she said, he said and then in, in, in what we have found is that you know other people have come out and and substantiated in many cases what has been alleged uh, we have the judge Kavanaugh uh, case last week which was certainly you know a case of he said she said and, and 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 you watched both testimonies and and you took your pick as to who you believe but what the difference here uh, you know certainly journalistically is that their spiegel are um, doubling down on a story that they uh, that they ran a year or two ago uh, at the time the um the alleged victim wasn't named um uh, now they have interviewed her extensively. She has given, you know, a, an account of, of what happened that uh, substantiates the claims that they had originally made in their article based on uh, documents that they had obtained from football leaks. And, and some of those documents, if they're if they're genuine, are pretty devastating. Um, they involve communications between Ronaldo and his lawyers, communications between Ronaldo's lawyers, the woman, uh, Catherine Mayorga's lawyers. And they would appear on the face of it, to substantiate her claims is certainly you know whatever about the, the 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 kind of level of the the allegation they certainly would suggest um a, a, an acknowledgement of wrongdoing by by uh, by Ronaldo
1: Emmett, there's a really really interesting thing that's happened over, the, over last night was uh, Christoph Winterbach the guy who wrote the piece for Der Spiegel has come out with 25 tweets explaining the background to the story. And actually he was saying how he kind of understands why she kept quiet initially because of even the backlash he's received on social media. So while social media can be an awful, nasty, terrible place, uh, we're now seeing journalists coming behind this hugely risky story, hugely dangerous story, but they have their facts straight. But he's then, he spends... 25 tweets explaining the backgrounds of the story. Can you ever imagine yourself and some of the, the bigger stories you've written in your life actually coming out thereafter and going, okay, look, just so everyone knows, there's a background to this story. It's it's a really useful tool now that Twitter can be used in that sense. Have you ever...
3: Look, I mean, uh, yeah, I've never worked on, on anything that there would be that level of interest in, you know, that, that somebody would, uh, you know, some a huge international star is accused of something like this. I've accused, on. Uh, I've certainly worked on uh, stories with, with legal implications for them and worked through with them with lawyers um and had you know kind of back and forth with them over what could be published what couldn't be you know what i could stand up and they would kind of test me on on what i can stand up and and, and a great deal of the thread that you're referring to there by uh, Christoph Winterbach um deals with exactly that back and forth that that he is saying in this that um yeah you can say these are outlandish claims but w- you know Der Spiegel is a is a reputable uh, publication organization you know it takes what it does very seriously it talks about he talks about the, 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 the very experienced lawyers, the very experienced editors. Yeah, you can't, write, in you can't write
1: anything substantial uh, because they will scratch it from the article if you can't prove it. We value facts.
3: You know, I, I think that counts for something here. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that the allegations are true. I can't. I haven't seen the documents firsthand. But he, he. I was wondering yesterday when I read the original version of the article online yesterday. Uh, as far as I can see, I was reading on my phone, so perhaps uh, I was missing attachments or links or whatever. But as far as I could see, none of the documents were there, and I, I did wonder about that. And he, they refer to these these incredible documents that they that they have um, very private emails uh, just and and to explain and, and the background that you would of that. consider to be uh, confidential. But but sorry, just to say that that in, in the thread here that he certainly uh, publishes excerpts from those. Because it, it's worth saying so the
0: allegation or, or it, this reportedly happened that after the incident that Ronaldo's people paid 375,000 compensation to the woman. The I mean I think yeah, included the, the a I gag the, order.
1: She, her new lawyer now has and a her, civil She now has a new lawyer those, who, yeah. who
0: claims that that agreement is null and void because essentially that she wasn't in the right mental state at the time when she signed it and also that she, they claimed that there was other agreements within the gag order that Ronaldo's side
1: didn't honour as well. So, so what happens next, OK, for this story when we're looking at it now? Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo comes out and takes the Trump line of fake news, which is remarkable in itself. So he's just going to go, I'm going to stand above it. Do Juventus do anything? Where did their Spiegel go? They said they're going to keep digging in and they're going to keep reporting on this story. But the whole thing about these things, which I've seen so many times, is how long do people stay with this? You know what I mean? Because people just want to see, you know oh, well, we want to see Ronaldo playing football for Juventus and all well. that. It'll be interesting to see how long this story, what will happen now, because we've seen these great figures in the last two years, great men who've been accused of these things, and over the years, people can just lawyer up and survive. That hasn't happened across the world in the last few years. Yeah,
3: there has been a different atmosphere. Um, I think from, there has, been a, a, there has been a climate where these things are a lot more difficult to brush under the carpet. I mean, the very fact that we're back with this, I don't think, you know, this story would have resurfaced as it has done on two or three occasions now um a few years ago um but here we have a woman who has a, a major media outlet uh, prepared to listen to her and publish her story prepared to go to a great deal enormous of expense yeah. and trouble to stand up this story now it's you know it's a, it's it journalistically it's a, it's a very good story um but it's based on a risky allegation that could prove enormously costly uh, and involves a, a lot of upfront money. You know, print organisations or online organisations are increasingly reluctant to put up, to, to pony up in the first place. So they they, they have gone. They've also. I mean, we talked about the the kind of process of going through something with a lawyer. Um, one thing that you 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 certainly are advised to do, and and any experienced journalist will know, no matter how sure you are of your story, there is always the possibility at the end of the day that somehow, you know, something will go wrong. You, you will end up in court because the person, no matter how right you are and how, you know, well you can prove it, um, will will go through with taking you to court. And there is also, and, and there is also the, the, always the possibility that once you get there, something will go wrong, you know, in, in, in whatever way. And, and, so, and so you are guarding against that. And so you are, from the outset, attempting to mitigate damages, you know, so that if this goes wrong, if it's in, you know, the worst case scenario here, and we lose this case somewhere down the road, no matter how absolutely sure I am of of its truth now, and my ability to, to prove that truth, you're, you, it's always in the back of your mind that you don't want to gloat. You don't want to appear to have any malice towards the person you're writing about. There's almost this kind of air of, it's my grave and solemn duty to bring you the news that this, this guy is not a, a particularly good guy or he's done something, he's done something wrong. And, Emma, uh, and, 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 and sorry, if I could finish the point, sorry. What you have here in the, the, the Spiegel story, the tone of it is absolutely come and get us. We wrote this story two, two, two years ago. Uh, you said at the time, your German lawyer said, you know, it was completely dismissive, said it was a work of journalistic fiction and you were going to sue us. Well, we're still waiting for the, for the legal letter. Now, you're not saying that it's a work of journalistic um, uh, fiction. You're saying that it's a, a private matter. It's too private to uh, publish. But you're threatening to sue us again. Well, we have the documents. We stand over our story. Common and us if that's what
1: you which, want to do. Which is a complete outlier because uh, powerful and wealthy people know that whether even if a, a media outlet has a really powerful story that they can back up and substantiate, you drag them into the proceedings before you even go to court and the legal fees mount up to such an amount that it scares off most media outlets from these kind of stories. Mm.
3: And that's why... That's why the world is the way it is, you know what I mean? That's why taking it's, on Cristiano Ronaldo is a big risk. It Thanks. is, absolutely. But I, I mean, I think there will be, you know, uh, there's, 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 there's the fan element of this, and Cristiano Ronaldo has very dedicated fans, a, a, a great many obsessives, you know, who will, uh, you know, we've already seen some of the reaction to uh, Winterback's uh, social media posts and, you know, people reacting against that trivialising the entire situation by, you know, I I see somebody, you know, saying that, suggesting somebody else who's commented in a positive way on the story is a messy fan and, you know, this sort of ludicrous nonsense, you know. What we have here also is, is a man who has, tens of millions of euro in earnings of real, current and future in commercial endorsements. And that's the sort of scale of the damages you're kind of looking at if um, if this story unravels. And, and again, I think you have to take that into account that that is something that 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 the Spiegel have, will, have, will have factored in. But that is where the real damage to, uh, to Ronaldo comes from. You know, we've seen with FIFA when, um, when there are allegations of impropriety made, of financial impropriety and corruption made. The the big sponsors melt away, you know, and uh, we we you know we've seen in, in in America the downfall of like people like Harvey Weinstein. It's you know big corporations with shareholders are not prepared to be associated with these people. And you know there may be there may be football fans, there may be Ronaldo obsessives who stick with him to the end here and will never believe that he could do something like this. But the concern, obviously, from his point of view. Yeah, you know, whether he's innocent or guilty, you know, is is that you know he has a lot of commercial sponsorships, and uh, and if those start unraveling for him, then then, then that costs him a, a very great deal of and money. He's the kind of guy absolutely. who'll
1: have them for life. He'll have them after. Yeah, if, absolutely. He is like a kind yeah, of a yeah, LeBron a James brand. in the sense yeah, yeah, that he, like yeah. LeBron James went and did a, a a Nike, and LeBron are going forever now that's the deal absolutely. that they've done yeah. Yeah, like yeah. so they're, again they're about 33 yeah. years so, old so in that context like we're talking like for 20-30 years absolutely. so that's what he's so, owned, in, so in that context I think
3: you know there are absolutely the, 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 the modern uh, the modern internet world has given rise to the ability of people from all corners to to, to, to to throw allegations out there and there there is indeed things that deserve no more than the label of fake news you know God awful as it is and you know Trumpism as it is but What has happened here is there are very lengthy, very well-structured, very, you know, well-thought-out allegations made against him. And a reputable publication is saying that they can back those up with very, very detailed uh, 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 documents, some of which they say Ronaldo has signed that deserves more than a fake news in, in, in whether it's in the current climate his or, response. or any uh, he, absolutely he issued he, he spoke uh, we heard there on um, on instagram to his followers describes it as fake news describes it as somebody wanting to get famous on the back of his name well it deserves more respect than that. Um, his fans deserve that. His commercial backers deserve more than that. The public and football in general deserves more than that. He may be, absolutely be innocent. We don't know the facts of this matter. We know these we allegations. We have to presume there. he's innocent. Absolutely. Emma, does Juventus absolutely. have a decision he, to make? He, needs, he and his legal team need to address this in a more respectful manner than just simply dismissing it as fake news.
1: But Juventus, his club, who've just signed him. Yeah. Um I thought it was interesting, like Real Madrid announced that they saved forty million by getting <coughs> them off their books. Like yeah. <clears throat> Juventus, do they ignore it? do they have a decision to make? We, like, there's been a, a very serious accusation made against their, their, literally their franchise player.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't think they can ignore it. That's for sure. I mean, again, I, I, it's hard I could, to believe they have, paid, they have invested, you know, nearly 100 million euro in him up front and then they're paying, oh, I read his wages yesterday. Um, is it—is it 30 million? I think it's 30 million euro a year he's being he's paid. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a colossal investment in the outcome of this, you know, uh, on the outcome of this you know, rides tens of millions of euro for Juventus, who are not a club who you know. I mean, they're not PSG, they're not Manchester City. I mean, it, that's big money to any uh, soccer club, but it's it's huge money to Juventus. So they're not going to be ignoring it. That's for sure. They will be looking at this and and considering it very carefully. He is innocent until proven guilty. Um, these are allegations, and that's all they are at the moment. But they are allegations that. I think have to be taken seriously.
0: It's completely, it, it's almost an anti-Twitter story. It's completely worth going and reading the Der Spiegel article online, if you get a chance. It's ten thousand words. It goes into a lot of detail. It's quite harrowing to read, but it is uh, worth worth the time. I, I would suggest Fantastic for people. Journalism. It is great. That's the end of the show for today. Um, Gavin, thank you so much for filling in. No problem. Emmet, thanks very much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks to Maliki for joining us earlier from Paris. He'll be back in the hot seat next week and we will talk to you then. Goodbye.